Okay, here we go. We are going to first read. We got a giant class today. If you're online, we have just an absolutely enormous class. Um, maybe some more folks will show up in the meantime, but uh, we're going to start out with Psalm 119, verse 89 is what we're going to read today. Uh, this is Lamed, and it says, forever, forever, O Lord, your word is settled in heaven. Your faithfulness endures to all generations. You establish the earth and it abides. They continue this day according to your ordinances, for all are your ser servants. Unless your law had been my delight, I would then have perished in my affliction. I will never forget your precepts, for by them you have given me life. I am yours, save me, for I have sought your precepts. The wicked wait for me to destroy me, but I will consider your testimonies. I have seen the consummation of all perfection, but your commandment is exceedingly broad. Well, we've got a couple prayer requests here. And put this over here. And let's see, I got one from uh, Joanne, who is usually here on Thursdays and Sundays. She's gone off to uh, Mississippi for, uh, I, I think she said three weeks. Might be a little more or less, but uh, she's asked for prayer during her time there and while she's traveling and uh, for her and her husband. So we'll remember them. And then our dear sister, who is in Missouri, Kim, she, uh, she usually watches online, and she is not with us tonight, and uh, she probably won't be online either on Sunday. She uh, had a hip third time she's had to have it worked on, and they actually had to do a bone graft. And uh, so um, her, the socket uh, was not correct. It was very painful, and so she's back in the hospital, had that done yesterday, and I have not heard how she is today. So uh, we'll just keep both of them in prayer, and of course, you know, other people that uh, uh, we think of often, Paul, who has not been here now, and I think it's been six weeks, and, and uh, Jim is traveling, we'll keep him in prayer, and Tom is not here, so I hope he's doing all right. But anyway, we've got lots of lots of people that need prayer, and uh, if you are out there and you need it, we'll include you as well. Heavenly Father, we do uh, thank you for the opportunity to come here and to lift other people up in prayer, knowing that you hear our prayers. And we thank you that uh, you are a God who responds to all prayers. Sometimes it's a no, but uh, we, we do know that you hear them, and your response is always perfect, and it's according to your wisdom. And we uh, ask that you would help us through this class tonight to handle your word properly and carefully and not to deviate from its precepts. And certainly uh, we thank you for the past week, actually two weeks with uh, John and Kathy and have not heard if they've made it safely back home yet, but we would pray that that would be the case. And uh, Lord, we just commit this hour to you and we love you and we praise you. We exalt you in Jesus' name. Amen. Tom Alley, how are you there? Howdy, howdy. If you think of it, I got something in my car for you. I was going to bring it. I thought, eh, I can give it to you Saturday. But if we're walking out together, we'll get it to you. Okay. Um, anyway, uh, let's see here. Oh, and Pat and Cindy aren't here. They're usually here about now. So, no. come here. all right. Well, anyway, we'll uh, we'll go ahead and get started with Romans. I think we're in chapter six. And oh yeah, I wrote it down. Six twenty-two is where we're at. So uh, let's see here. Let me open that up. Romans chapter six. And, uh, oh, this week, just so you know, while I'm doing this, is the Law of Leprosy Part 1, and it's going to take us a while to get through the leprosy chapters. I think it's three full sermons, and uh, uh, you'll get the point right away. The, all three of the sermons are going to follow the same basic theme, 
But uh, if you ever wanted to know about leprosy in the Bible, stay tuned, all right? Because uh, you'll you'll learn more about leprosy than you'll ever imagine. Get your house torn down. Yeah, get, yeah, get your house torn down if you got leprosy in the house. <laughs> if you got leprosy in your garments, that's another thing. And then leprosy on the body. And um, so... Uh, good stuff but that's coming this weekend to a sermon near you and Romans 6 verse 22 it says but now I'm going to go ahead and back up because uh, that's not, it's right in the middle of a paragraph I'm going to take it back to 15 we're going to read down to 22 and then we'll go through 22 start with 615 what then shall we sin because we are not under law but under grace certainly not we went through that in detail that was uh, just like his question in 6 1 if you remember he asked a question I'll take it back there he said what shall we say then shall we continue in sin that grace may abound he says certainly not verse 15 he does the same thing what then shall we sin because we are not under law but under grace certainly not he keeps giving us these rhetorical questions and then the obvious answer to it um, verse 16 do you not know that to whom you present yourselves slaves to obey you are that one's slaves whom you obey, whether of sin leading to death or of obedience leading to righteousness. But God be thanked that though you were slaves of sin, yet you obeyed from the heart that form of doctrine to which you were delivered. And having been set free from sin, you became slaves of righteousness. I speak in human terms because the weakness of your flesh for just as you presented your members as slaves of uncleanness and lawlessness leading to more lawlessness, so now present your members as slaves of righteousness for holiness. Verse 20, for when you were slaves of sin, you were free in regard to righteousness. What fruit did you have then in things of which you now are ashamed? For the end of these things is death. And then verse 22, but now, having been set free from sin, and having become slaves of God, you have your fruit to holiness and the end, everlasting life. So we'll give you our thoughts on that there, 622. As so often occurs in the Apostles' writings, but is introduced here. He's giving you a contrast to something. It gives a stark contrast from the previous thought, which was in 620 and 21. Reflecting on all three verses will allow for a fuller comprehension of this. I'm going to read them again just so you can see it. When, for when you were slaves of sin, you were free in regard to righteousness. What fruit did you have then in the things of which you are now ashamed? For the end of those things is death. But now, having been set free from sin, and having been become slaves of God, you have fruit to holiness and the end everlasting life. You were slaves to unrighteousness, to uncleanness. You, your uh, reward would be death, the lake of fire. Instead, now you have a complete contrast to that, and you have fruit which leads to righteousness. You have the surety of eternal life because of Jesus. As I said last week, what you need to understand about fruit, and there are fruits of the Spirit which Paul will talk about, love, peace, joy, and all of these other things. But when people say that um, works stem naturally from uh, being saved, the question is, what works? What works are you talking about? Because people will say that, well, he doesn't have any works to justify that he's a saved believer. Well, what works is it? And as I said, read that verse again. I'm going to tell you my thought on it really quickly. But now having been set free from sin, you have, having become slaves of God, you have put uh, your fruit to holiness and the end everlasting life. Well, what was it we were doing before we were regenerate? We were doing all kinds of things. We were thinking about sin. We were committing sin. We weren't thinking about God. In the end, that's what was going on in our heads. We were thinking of anything but God. 
Things that are not necessarily idols can become idols. A woman is a woman, a man is a man, but we can make an idol of women if we're men, or we can make an idol of men if we're women, or if we're gay, we can make an idol of men if we're a man. Right? But that's not normal. What is normal is to think on God, and then to interact with a woman or a man in relation to what God would ordain in that sense. Okay, so even something as simple as um, just how you interact with others can be a fruit. Hello, how are you? And um, uh, as I said last week, if you're sitting at home and you're doing nothing all day because you know you don't have money to go out and do anything and you really don't have anybody to interact with and you're talking to God all day, that is fruit to God. That you are doing something and you are demonstrating righteousness by talking to God, by living in the presence with him. There are people that are shut-ins that never leave their bed. What is their fruit? Their fruit is having that exchange with God. So when somebody tries to trip you up and say, well, you're not demonstrating a, a fruit, and so you're not saved or something, as I said last week, just ask them what fruit. What is it that you want me to do that you think the Bible is telling me I have to do in order to prove I'm saved? The thing that you want to do is to interact with your Creator. And whatever you do, whether it's interactions with other human beings, you're doing it to the glory of God. Whether it's going out to dinner, you do it to the glory of God. Give a track. There's a million tracks over there. Take them and leave them for the, the waitress. Whatever. Do things that will honor God with yourself and in your interaction with him and with others. That, to me, it really, it, Jesus even said in the, what are the two greatest commandments? Love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. If you're doing those type of things in the presence of God, and that's not reintroducing the law, because Paul brings those, somebody emailed me that question this week. He said, well, does that still apply? Loving God? Well, of course it does, because that sums up everything that the law speaks of. And it's universal in nature that if we don't love God, we don't love Jesus because Jesus is God. But when we're born again, we're supposed to be in love with our Creator. So that's first commandment. The second one is specifically said by Paul in Romans 13 about loving your neighbor. Okay, so these are things that don't go away just because the law is annulled in Christ. There are certain precepts that we will always hold to. So let me go on. We've we've looked at that. You want to just have the Lord on your mind at all times. Interact with Him. Speak to Him. Love Him with your heart. And uh, here we go. What was once true is no more. Speaking of what verses 20 and 21 said, as opposed to verse 22. The bonds which confined us have been removed. The sin that infected us with corruption is replaced with holiness, and it should be replaced with holiness, because there are times where it isn't completely replaced with holiness. But God has set us apart as holy, and so we're supposed to reflect that. So we're saying it it is replaced with holiness is positionally. All right? The master who assured only rewards of punishment has been exchanged for God who rewards with love and grace. There's no doubt that if you were in the devil, and everybody was until they came to Christ, there's only one end. It's punishment. It's death. It's the lake of fire, right? That is no longer the case with God. Instead, you're given grace through the Lord Jesus Christ. You're given God's love. You're a child of God, a son or a daughter of God. And so those are the things that we now have in contradistinction to what we once earned through sin. What once condemned us is swallowed up in salvation. Everlasting life has replaced eternal death. And when I say eternal death, you know, people say, we're all going to live forever. The question is, where? And that is true. We're all going to live forever in one of those two places. But when I say eternal death, that means we are eternally cut off from God. We are 
you know, physically animated beings and whatever happens to our soul, it will not be annihilated as, you know, some denominations just teach annihilation. Well, if you don't go to heaven, you're just going to be annihilated. The Bible doesn't say that. So you're going to go to the lake of fire. And then Jesus has certain things that he uses to describe what it's like in those places. We will be aware. We will know. I'm not saying we as believers. I'm saying people that don't know. They will know that. So anyway, um, uh, what was once condemned is swallowed up in salvation. Eternal life has been replaced, uh, has replaced eternal death. And all of this is tied up in the word, but. It is the glory of glory of calling on Jesus Christ as Lord. You call on Jesus Christ and it's done. It's that simple. I read a great, great, great quote today, which I wish I had written down to bring in. Uh, just some old guy, probably 18 or 1700s, had a nice long beard and he wrote about being saved forever. And uh, maybe it was on Facebook. I can't remember where I saw it, but wonderful quote. And, you know, people want to deny eternal salvation. I can't tell you how many people over the years have defriended me because I teach that you were saved once forever. And they just can't understand that. They've come out of, most of them I've noticed that hold on to that have come out of Catholicism. And for some reason, they just cannot grasp that there's something that they don't have to keep doing in order to be saved. Because, you know, in Catholicism, it's all about go see your Hail Marys. You got to go say your, you know, this and that. You get in a little confessional and they do all of these things. And uh, it, it's like there's something in them that doesn't want to let go of that. And so they teach that you can lose your salvation. And it's something I cannot understand. Grace is grace. And if there's anything added to it, it is not grace. Hello. Um, so here we go. Um, uh, where is this? Uh, okay, we have been set free from sin. We're in Romans 6.22. We've been set free from sin and have be become slaves of God. All right? It, you know, the term slaves of God may offend some people because of, uh, you know, the, the idea of slavery. Uh, Peter and Paul both call themselves bondservants of Christ or bondservants of God. Jude does as well. I think James does too. And uh, that may you know, make people feel better than saying the word slave, but it's basically the same thing. A slave is property owned by another. A bondservant is somebody that works and does not get paid for what he does, okay? Same, same basic thing, and um, that is what we are. We're slaves of God, all right? We're owned by him. We are his property. He is not going to give up his slaves again. He gave us up at the beginning, He's done all of this work throughout redemptive history to bring us to the point where he was going to send his son to die for our sins and to claim us back. Why would God give us up a second time after sending his son? Think it through logically. Think it through. And don't believe people when they say you can lose your salvation. That is a word that begins with be and it ends with ondage. And it is something that you <laughs> should not let anybody uh, uh, convince you of. Okay. Christ did not come to give us eternal insecurity. He came to give us eternal salvation. He is, as Hebrew says, the author of eternal salvation. Okay? So, because of this, because we are slaves of God, as I just said, a person could ask, isn't this then exchanging one type of bondage for another? No. The answer is absolutely no. It is because God is infinite. In him there is no true confinement. Think it, think it through. If you are a slave of the devil... And he is destined for the lake of fire. That is where you're going. It is the place where you will be eternally squeezed in with, with the devil and with all of the others. It's a place of gnashing, of teeth, of weeping and mourning, and it's a confined space. That's, the Bible gives us that picture. God being infinite, 
there can be no end to your freedom in God. Think it through. No matter how far you go, no matter what you do in this universe, as long as you are in God, you can never get outside of him. And so you have an eternal, eternal physical existence for, you know, searching out God. And I'm not saying that we're going to get into uh, spaceships and fly to other galaxies. I have no idea what it's going to be like. He's going to restore the universe. And that's one thing that I would love to. If the universe stays the same, I'd like to go out and see what he's done in other parts of the universe. But that doesn't mean that we're going to have that kind of uh, ability. I have no idea what he has set aside for us, but it would be pretty cool if you ask me. Hello, how are you guys doing? Okay. And uh, so let's see here. Um, uh, God is infinite in nature. In him there is no true confinement. Being a slave to God means sharing in his infinite stream of love, grace, mercy, <laughs> truth, and holiness. There is no bondage where there are no bounds which limit our movement. Becoming a slave of God is to become the freest being of all. It's a term. We're using a term because he is our master and we are his slaves. But in the or under the mastership of God, there are no bounds. There is infinite grace. There is infinite truth. There is infinite space. There is infinite time. It will never end. We will be the freest beings of all. Right now, if you think about it, we are really, really bound in what God has done for us. Because we are in time, we're going this way, our lives are set and fixed. It may be 90 years, it may be, uh, what was it, my friend emailed me, uh, 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 email uh, some, some actor, 39 years old, died. It was yesterday or the day before, he was over in England, and he sent me this. And I thought, you know, when I was a kid, 39 seemed like a long time. And now it looks like that guy's just a kid, right? But his life has ended. And we're, we're confined. We're confined in bodies that are stuck. We can only be in one place at one time. We can't go through walls. Jesus went through walls. We're going to be like Jesus. Hence, we will probably be able to go through walls. There will be a completely different type of existence that we can't even imagine right now. He said, we're going to be like him. Whatever that means, we're going to be like him. So uh, um, it, we will be the freest beings of all. And Jesus told us this in John 8, 34 through 36. He said, uh, Jesus answered them, Most assuredly, I say to you, whoever commits a sin is a slave to sin. Right? All have sinned and all fall short of the glory of God. All are slaves of sin. That's an, an axiom that the Bible teaches. And a slave does not abide in the house forever, but a son abides forever. So even using the term slave of God, we are still sons of God. We will be there forever. Therefore, if the son makes you free... You shall be free indeed. Absolutely, absolute freedom in God. However it's going to happen, whatever it's going to be like, it is going to be marvelous. Okay, um, one thing that I want to, it just came to mind, every once in a while, we all say this verse, okay? We all say this verse. I don't know a person that hasn't used this verse. Um, where is it, Burke? Um, um, uh, I'm looking for the, the verse that uh, mind is not conceived, um, what uh, God has done for those who... Uh, Come on, it's Corinthians. Can you think of the verse? Um, no, mind has no mind is conceived. Come on, guys, help me out here. Nor eye has seen. Eye has not seen. Um, that's Nor the verse I'm looking for. Come on, Burke. If you can't find it, I'm going to find it on my iPad because I want to go through that. It's a doctrinal point I want to make here, and it's going to upset a lot of people. But we've all used that verse in that the context that I'm thinking of right now. Um, but... It is the wrong context. So let me go to um, 
and right here, oops, I want to go there, and then um, somebody is sitting in their house right now, and they're saying, dummy, it's right, uh, anyway, um, we'll find it, Bible Gateway, and then uh, all I need to do is type it, come on, Bible Gateway, it just came to mind, and I want to correct the doctrine on people on that one, just so that you know what that verse is talking about, okay, I seen, S-E-E-N, and that should bring it up, um, I is not seen, it's 1 Corinthians, and it is... 2 verse 9. Okay, so I'm going to take you there really quickly. Just because it came to mind, it's a little bit of a rabbit trail, but I want you to use that verse properly. Okay, he says, um, I'm in 2 Corinthians, so you have to be in the right book too. Yeah, Yeah, you've got to be in 1 Corinthians too. So, And I said that, but uh, I just turned to Corinthians. And Okay, so it says, um, I'm going to just start at the beginning of the chapter and we're going to go through it. And I, brethren, when I came to you, think of what I'm reading you and think of the context. When I came to you, did not come with excellence of speech or of wisdom, declaring to you the testimony of God. For I determined not to know anything among you except Jesus Christ and him crucified. I was with you in weakness and fear and in much trembling. He just said that he came to uh, preach to you Christ Jesus and him crucified. Okay? I, I was in weakness, fear, and trembling. And my speech and my preaching were not persuasive words of human wisdom but in demonstration of the spirit and power. Keep thinking of the context. That your faith should not be in the wisdom of men, but in the power of God. However, we speak wisdom among those who are mature, yet not the wisdom of this age, nor of the rulers of this age who are coming to nothing. But we speak the wisdom of God in a mystery, the hidden wisdom which God ordained before the ages for our glory, which none of the rulers of this age knew. For had they known, they would not have crucified the Lord of glory. But as it is written, eye is not seen, nor ear heard, nor have entered into the heart of man the things which God has prepared for those who love him. Verse 10, but God has revealed them to us through his spirit. For the spirit searches all things, yes, the deep things of God. I'm going to keep just read the whole paragraph or page. Uh, For what man knows the things of a man except the spirit of man which is in him? Even so, no one knows the things of God except the Spirit of God. Now we have received not the Spirit of the world, but the Spirit who is from God, that we might know the things which have been freely given to us by God. These things we speak also, not in words which man's wisdom teaches, but which the Holy Spirit teaches, comparing spiritual things with spiritual. But the natural man does not receive the things of the Spirit of God, for they are foolishness to him, nor can he know them, because they are spiritually discerned. But he who is spiritual judges all things, yet he himself is rightly judged by no one. Verse 16, last verse, For who has known the mind of the Lord that he may instruct him? But we have the mind of Christ. What is he speaking about there when he says, I has not seen nor heard nor entered into the hearts of man the things which God had prepared for those who love him? He's not speaking about what's coming in the future. The gospel is awesome. Speaking about the gospel. It's speaking about the gospel. So if you have used that verse, and I have many times, I'm going to be as honest as possible that anybody that uh, 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 is out there and uses that verse to say this is speaking of heaven, it's not. It's speaking of what God has revealed to us right now. He has revealed to us the gospel of Christ. That is the context of what he's saying. And so to say that it's speaking of heaven or what we're going to be doing in the galaxies or how long we're going to, you know, what eternity is like or any of those things, that is incorrect. It is speaking about what has been revealed because of what God has done through Jesus Christ. And then he says, the Spirit searches all things. And guess what? What does he reveal to us? This is the final product of what that verse is speaking of, the pages of the Bible. Eyes have not seen, ears not heard. 
not speaking about something we don't have, it's speaking of something we possess. The gospel of Christ and what God will do. Now, it is inclusive because the gospel of Christ includes all of eternity. It includes everything, but that is not the context of that verse. That verse does not speak of what is unknown to us. It's speaking of what is known to us. Okay? Anyway, just wanted to get that out of the way. Verse 12. Verse 12. Go ahead. So that... We may know the things freely given to us. Of the freely Lord. given to that us. That is revelation. That's right. Book of Revelation as well. No, no, it did. Oh, it, Revelation. Like, I see what you're saying. Yeah. yeah, absolutely. But Book of Revelation and all of Scripture. Yeah. That is what God has revealed. You're absolutely right. What God has revealed. Because he says, we speak in a mystery. Well, what is a mystery? A mystery is something that is now revealed. It's not something that we don't know. It's something that Paul is saying, I am now revealing it to you. Just like the mystery of the rapture. Behold, I show you a mystery. He goes through a certain number of mysteries in the New Testament. It is something being revealed for the first time ever. So anyway, just wanted to get out of the way because I was speaking about the galaxies and all the things that we have freedom in, and that verse came to mind. And I don't want to use that for because it almost comes off my tongue sometimes. We, don't, we can't even imagine what God has prepared for us. That's true, but what that verse is speaking of is speaking of what has been revealed, the revelation of God in the pages of the Bible and through the hands of the apostles. Anyway, um, just a little point of doctrine didn't mean to get too far off, and that only took three minutes anyway. So um, let's see here. Um, the Son will make you free indeed, I said, and then we have a life application, and we'll go on to the next verse. And it looks like it's going to rain out there. Um, because we have believed... And because we stand justified, we should behave and become sanctified. We should behave likewise and become sanctified, okay? I say should because 99% of what Paul says in his um, epistles is what? Exhortation. An exhortation is not specifically a command. It's saying, I'd like you to do these things because this is what is healthy for you. This is what is right to do. This is what will get you rewards. This is what will keep you out of you know, sadness. It'll keep you out of trouble. It'll keep you from getting shot by somebody's neighbor, whatever. Exhortations are things that are not commands in and of themselves. I am exhorting you, leading you on to holiness. I'm prompting you to this. But if you don't do it, it's your choice and you haven't lost your salvation. You will lose your joy and you lose all kinds of other things, but you're not going to lose your salvation. So, well, because we have believed and stand justified, we should behave likewise and become sanctified. Of what use is the old self? That's what we have to ask ourselves because some of us, you know, grew up in homes that were Christian and we knew Jesus and, you know, we, we led pretty decent lives. But some of us came out of really bad backgrounds, right? Or we knew Christ and then we fell away and we went into a very bad tailspin for many years, right? Okay. Was it fun being in that situation? No, obviously not, because if it was, we'd still be there. We wouldn't have called on Christ. What would be the point in calling on Christ if everything was fine the way it is, right? But when you realize that this is not right, this is, this is terrible, I hate this life, you know, whatever it is, then you come to Christ. So... Why would you want to go back to that? Of what use is that old, old life? Of what use is sin? It is bondage, it is confinement, but in Christ is freedom and there is expanse. Live now as if eternity has been realized in you. Why? Because it has. It has been realized in you. You've called on Jesus, you have been saved. Eternity is yours, you might as well live like it now. Okay? That's... that's uh, 
it's hard to do, but it's something we should try to do. Okay, we should try to constantly talk to the Lord. And you know, you get behind somebody that's a really bad driver, that always frustrates me. And of course, I get you know the blood starts getting boiling. Right? Shouldn't be that way. We should think, you know what? I've got all of eternity. This is just it's nothing. So why let yourself get upset? I had a guy um, uh, email me, no names or anything, just a. Uh, a, a He's anxious about something. He emailed me. He says, I'm really anxious about this. And I said, what does Paul say? He says, be anxious for nothing. Because if what you're anxious about does happen, it couldn't have changed anyway. And if it doesn't happen, it couldn't have changed anyway. It's All you're doing is you're getting yourself gray hair and you're getting yourself you know, uh, wrinkles around your eyes, but nothing is being changed. So don't be anxious about it. And then the next day he found out that everything was fine. You know, so all that anxiety for no reason. That's why Paul says, be anxious for nothing. All right, so we'll go on to verse 623. You know, my uh, NASB says this, but now having been freed from sin and enslaved to God, you derive your benefit resulting in sanctification. Read that again. But now having been freed from sin and enslaved to God, you derive your benefit resulting in sanctification and the outcome eternal life which is just they copied me the sanctification though that you mentioned it it, it has it right out there in the absolutely and there's something about sanctification we are sanctified it is a done deal the bible says that and yet we are to be sanctified i brought that up last week i brought it up in the leviticus sermon the jews when they say their uh and i'm talking about any jews when they say their blessings what is it they say we praise the lord because he has sanctified us by his commandments, right? But elsewhere he says, be sanctified. Okay, so it's a dual thing. We are sanctified in order to sanctify ourselves. If we say that we're sanctified and we don't live it out, then we're not living out what we're supposed to be doing. And that's the problem with, and I'm not saying all Jews, because there are many Jews that love Christ and they are saved by him, and they're mixing their sanctification by God with sanctifying themselves before God. Whereas many, many Jews don't do that. They live just like secular lives, but when they start the Sabbath, all of a sudden they're real holy and say God has sanctified us by the Sabbath, and the rest of the week they're unholy. That is not what God is asking us to do. As Jews that are, you know, have come to Christ, or as Christians that have come to Christ, we are sanctified in order to sanctify ourselves. Okay? You can't get it the other way around, though. We can't say, I'm going to sanctify, sanctify myself so that I will be sanctified. That doesn't work. That's calling works-based salvation. I'm going to make myself good so that God will love me. He has sanctified us so that we can now sanctify ourselves until we go home. All you right? read that in either yesterday's or today's Thessalonians. Oh, yeah, absolutely. I did. I said that in there, too, because it's such a, a, a prominent precept that we it, it's going to be interspersed all through Paul's writings. Mm-hmm. He's going to say it in various ways, and it will always come back to that. But, yes, it was just a day or two that that, that came out. It's something that he... he hints at all the way through there. And that's why it is so hard to understand how somebody can say, well, I love Jesus and I've never read the Bible. If you love him, you want to do what he wants you to do. And that is recorded right here from the book of Romans until the book of Philemon. Paul is the apostle to the Gentiles. He is the one during this. He's also the one that brings the message to the Jews during this dispensation, etc. But he is the apostle to the Gentiles. This is the Gentile-led church age. And that is our marching orders. Everything else bears. It's all scripture. It's all profitable for doctrine and reproof and instruction for the man of righteousness. But it does not all pertain the same way at the same time. 
Paul's letters do. They are our marching orders, okay? As long as we can keep that in focus, and I'll do that on the board again sometime. We'll go through the Gospels, and I'll add in Acts, and then we'll go through Paul's letters, and after that, and I'll show you how the Bible itself shows us redemptive history. It shows us exactly what God started to do at the beginning and what he completed all the way to the end, and Paul is right there, church age. It's very clear when you see it laid out, but I've done several times. I'm not going to do it for a while. Maybe we'll get to Romans 9 and 10. We'll do it somewhere in there, 9, 10, and 11. Anyway, um, verse 623. does look like it's going to rain out there. Um, <laughs> 623, um, for the... Oh. oh, yeah, here we are. Okay, I'm sorry. I, I lost my place for a second. And uh, for the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. Okay, this verse, along with about five others, you should memorize, okay, in, in the book of Romans. There are other verses that I recommend that you memorize or at least know where they are in, um, uh, you know, the epistle so that you can go to them and you can read them to somebody. But this is one of the verses that you should absolutely memorize. You've got about four or five of them. You want to know that uh, all have sinned and all fall short of the glory of God. That's something that everybody should just know. We all have sinned. We all fall short of the glory of God. And then this one here, the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. Okay? Those are verses that we should know. All right? Um, uh, another one that we should know is that um, Romans 10, 9 and 10, which I'll read to you so I don't completely blow it. But it says here, um, these are verses you should know. If you don't memorize them, at least know where to go to get to them. Romans 10, 9, and 10. It says um, that you, if you confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in your heart that God has raised him from the dead, you will be saved. So what you're doing is you're giving them a logical progression of thought. All have sinned. The wages of sin is death. The gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. And then how do you get to Jesus? You say... Confess with the Lord in your mouth, the Lord Jesus, and believe in your heart that God has raised from, from the dead, and you will be saved. This is what is so simple for people to understand. This is my position. This is the, the result of my position, and this is what God has done to get me out of it. If you can remember just those few verses, I mean literally just those few verses, you can lead somebody to a saving knowledge of Jesus. Just by talking to them about your own experiences thrown in with that. But those are key verses for people to understand Okay, so Romans 6.23, give you the thoughts on it. The term gospel here, which equates to good news, the gospel literally means the good news, implies that there is what? If you got good news, then there's bad news, right? Okay, if you are being given good news, then it implies that there is something that is not good news. Okay, bad news. The concept of being saved implies that there is... Something to be saved from. People are lost. They need to be saved. You know, I was at lunch with somebody one time, and uh, actually two people I went to high school with, and one of them was a Jewish girl, which I didn't know at the time. I just, you know, we were just talking, and uh, I didn't know her real well. And the girl next to me was talking about somebody else, and she said, is she saved? And I said, oh, yeah, she's saved. And another girl just it went right over her head. But to, if you think of it, if you're saved, that means that you had to have been saved from something. Okay, and we just say hey, she saved, and we just we throw it around like it almost has no meaning, but it has meaning. And then the question is, if you're saved, you're saved from what? What do you save from? Because if you're saved for something or into something, you had to have been saved from something. Okay, so the concept of being saved implies that there is something to be saved from. These are truths that are very clearly laid out and very carefully laid out in the pages of the Bible. 
the creation and the fall of man are recorded right at the beginning to show us that God did all of this wonderful stuff to get everything ready for man, and we blew it. And that was there for a reason. He didn't get into all kinds of other details. He, you know, a few things about God's sovereignty over animals. He got to name the animals, implying that man is sovereign over them. Okay, he gave us the authority over those animals and all kinds of little things like that so that we will know what to do after the fall. But he didn't get into all of these details that he could have. He could have said, well, Adam on his first day had uh, eggs and, uh, you know, uh, granola. What? He didn't get into any of that stuff. He gave exactly what was pertinent for us to know where we came from, what happened, and what God is going to do to get us out of it. And it goes all the way through the pages of the Bible until the coming of Christ. All of this stuff. What am I going to do to get my people out of this, okay? Stop right there and just say the law. The law. I can't tell you how many times in the past week I've had people email me about the law and argue on Facebook about it. You're misreading Paul. We're still under the law. We still have to do these things. And I feel like saying, you know, do you wear clothes that are polyester? Because if you do, you're violating the law. I could go through a thousand little things that you, according to the law, cannot do that I guarantee you they do every day. It's pick and choose theology. All right. Either the law is set aside or it's not. If it is, then it's set aside. If it's not, then you need to make sure you do every single one of those precepts because the man who does these things will live by them. That's right. And if he doesn't do them, then you won't live by them. Okay? Christ lived those things. Somebody just, there's another one. Right out of context. Let's take that verse and just tear it out of context and put it at the uh, under the uh, the sermon on dietary laws that I did two weeks ago. Right? And he says, the, not one jot or tittle will fall out of the commands until all is fulfilled, blah, 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 right? And my response, I didn't argue with him at all. All I did is said, thank God for Jesus Christ who fulfilled all of those things. And so now all is fulfilled for me, and I am not under that burden any longer. But if somebody wants to stay under that law, he's got to fulfill it. Not a jot or tittle can he miss. And I hope the guy got the point, because it's either Christ's fulfillment of it, and it is fulfilled, or that person will have to live out the law perfectly, which will never happen. Yes. He raises his sheep too, because he has to bring one each week. That's right. He's got to bring a sheep. He's got to. Uh, he's got to go down to Jerusalem, and he's got to do this and that. <laughs> hundreds of little things in the law which are impossible to meet. Impossible. But I'm going to pick and choose and say you're eating pork, and so you can't be a good Christian. Or I'm going to. Ah, it's maddening. It, it really is maddening because people want to cling to something instead of just give up their self and say, I trust in Christ enough to say, you have saved me. Thank you. I appreciate it. It is sufficient. The cross. Yeah, those verses that you want them to memorize, yep. you've got to include 13. 1013. 1013. Absolutely. Whosoever shall call. Call in the name of the Lord. That's my verse, but they can share it. Yeah. Absolutely. That's my verse, but they can share. I like that. That's very good. All right, so we'll go on there. Uh, you're, you're safe from something. There are truths that are clearly laid out in the Bible. I said that from the beginning. Genesis, the creation and fall of man are recorded to show us that there is a problem which needs to be fixed. The Bible then shows the ongoing process of working toward that fix. Every single thing that he inserts, every name that he inserts you know, from Adam to Seth, and he goes down through the names of uh, the line of Adam in Genesis chapter 5. They're there for a reason. He's showing us what he is doing to fix the problem. He gets off on a little rabbit trail when he gets to uh, Abraham, and Lot separates, and you think, well, isn't that odd, right? Why is he talking about Lot down there when the focus is Abraham? 
and then Abraham goes into a cave, right, with his two daughters because his wife is a... a Lot, Lot uh, yeah, what did I say? You said Abraham. Abraham, okay, Lot, thank you, yeah. Lot goes into a cave with his two daughters. His wife is back there, a pillar of salt, and it records that odd little passage about Lot and his two daughters, and it says, well, let's get our father drunk, and I'll sleep with him, and I'll get pregnant so we can continue the seed on, right? And then he says... She says, I did this last night, and it worked. Let's get him drunk again, and you sleep with him so that you can carry our father's seed on, right? Why is that in there? It's just this rabbit trail, right? Abraham is the focus. And you think, oh, well, it's to show I had somebody that I very much respect. When I first met the Lord, I watched his videos every week, and I'm not going to give his name because I respect him this much. But he, his conclusion of that was that uh, uh, it was to show us the uh, enemies of the people of God, Moab and the Ammonites. That's not why that story's in there at all. That story is in there because of the Moab and the Ammonites. Because uh, Ruth comes from who? Moab. She leads right to Jesus Christ, right? And then uh, Ammon, Solomon had a son named Rehoboam. And Rehoboam had a wife who was an Ammonitess. And their child leads right to Jesus. And so it is showing us that without those two girls doing what they did, there would be no Jesus. But they were saying, they weren't saying we're going to keep our father's seed alive. They were saying we are going to keep the seed alive. They were looking for the Messiah. That's why that story is recorded there. They knew that the Messiah was there. They thought we are the ones to bring in the Messiah as all of the people of faith all the way through the Bible did. We are going to bring in the Messiah. And they knew this. They knew that it was, you go to the family of Abraham. I'm not going to take you there now, but you look at Abraham, uh, Nahor, you've got Milcah, you've got, um, uh, uh, you know, uh, Sarah. And all these people, they're listed in this one or two paragraphs. Every single one of them leads to Jesus. Every one of them. It's astonishing. The Bible doesn't pick and choose names for no reason. They're there for a reason, to show us what God is going to do as we lead to Christ. Okay? If there is a story in there, and it doesn't make sense. It's because you're not thinking about Jesus. You're not thinking about what God is trying to show you leading to Jesus. In the end, it will always lead to him. And I'm not saying that I know the answer to all of them. There are a couple of stories that we haven't gotten to yet in Kings and Samuel and Chronicles. I can't wait to look at them, and I don't know why they're there, because I haven't taken the time to look at the words and to study you know, the etymology of the words, but the answer is there, and it will always lead to Jesus. So we'll go on. Um, here in the last verse of Romans 6, the very last verse of this chapter, we see as clearly as can be presented the contrast between the bad news and the good news, the state of loss and the salvation from it, and also the way that these things are realized. For, the word for, for the wages of sin is death. For treats the following words as an axiom. As I said earlier, the wages of sin is death is an axiom in the Bible. It is understood. You don't need to go any deeper, but we can. It, but it just says it. This is the way things are. The Bible proclaimed it right at the very beginning, and this rule has never changed. Adam fell. All human beings are in Adam. We are all condemned by being in Adam. There's nothing we can do about it. We cannot get ourselves out of the pit. We can't go back and undo our sin. We can't go back and undo our birth, and we can't go back and undo Adam's sin. We are in the pit the moment that we are conceived, okay? Already done. And so Christ is needed to take us out of that. It's an axiom that all have sinned and all fall short of the glory of God. Um, 
it is set in stone. There's nothing unfair or arbitrary about this either. And that's one thing that a lot of people love to do is impute God with wrongdoing. Well, he can't send me to hell. Why not? You're already going there. It is the default position. I remember when I, the first time I ever heard the word default. I had no idea what they were talking about. I'm trying to figure out how to do something on this old computer that we had when I first came back from overseas. And it says, the default position is, and I had no idea. And I'm thinking, what is default? And I looked up and it didn't make any sense to me. But now we, it, it's a word that we use all the time. Default means this is where you are. And if you are anywhere else and you make a, a, a change, you go back to the default, right? That's default. That is the beginning of all things. And then from there, you change from default. If you want to set the default is turn it on and it will shut itself off automatically after 30 minutes without use. That's the default position. You have to change it from that. I don't ever want it to shut off. And so you change it from the default. Well, think of yourself. Your default position is to be shut off at the end of a miserable existence and to be cast into hell. That is default. Every single person is going to have it. Whether it's a baby that is born and lives until 10 years old and lives a miserable existence and then, uh, uh, you know, gets run over by a car. Terrible life, okay? Default position did not change, okay? That's one thing that we need to understand about theology, and most people don't like to hear that. You never base your theology on what? It begins with E. Emotions, that's right. Never base your theology on emotions. The default position is set. It is God who gets us out of the default position. If he wants to save babies, he will save babies. That is not our decision to make. All I can tell you is that the Bible says we are conceived in iniquity, we are born in iniquity, and we die in iniquity without Jesus. It is his choice. Okay. If, the, if God has a place in heaven for puppies... That's great, but we don't make theology based on puppies. We have no idea. As a matter of fact, there's one verse in the entire Bible that speaks about the spirit of an animal. It's in the book of Ecclesiastes, and it's asked in the form of a question, okay? Does the spirit of man go up and the spirit of an animal go down? Solomon had no idea. That is God's prerogative, and the Bible is not about the redemption of animals. It's never addressed in scripture. People will email me about that quite often. If the rapture happens, what's going to happen to my dogs? I don't know. The Bible doesn't say, and I'm not going to give you comfort where the Bible doesn't give it, because then I would be the liar. I'm not going to add the scripture for you. All I'm going to say is God is capable of taking care of your heart. He will deal with the things according to his wisdom. But don't ask me to give you comfort on something that the Bible doesn't address. People will put on signs outside of churches, all puppies go to heaven. Have you ever seen that one? The, the post of the, I think it was a Baptist church or a Catholic church or something, they put it right on the house. That's adding to the word of God, because it doesn't say that. We would hope that our puppy will be in heaven, but that's not our decision. That is God's. The default position, the default position for humanity is the lake of hell. Fire, brimstone, heck, whatever you want to call it. All right? That is default. Yes, sir? I know a lady who said, talking to somebody who's unsaved, he said, oh, I don't want to believe that. And she says, well, would you walk my dog after the rapture? Yeah, there you go. That's right. Would you walk my dog after the rapture? Because what you believe is irrelevant. What we like and what we don't like, and what when you witness to somebody and they don't like what you say, it doesn't matter as long as you stick to this word. 
when you add to this word, when you say something about somebody's puppies or when you say something about some person's child that died that is not in accord with the word, you have erred and you have sinned, okay? Bad doctrine is sin. There's no way around it, okay? So when somebody asks you one of those questions, just say the Lord is capable of taking care of these problems himself. If he doesn't address it, leave it alone, okay? But it would make no sense at all for somebody to argue against what God has determined, especially when we are the ones that got ourselves into the box in the first place, right? People argue, well, I don't want to... I don't want to live in uh, Mexico. A little child is born and he sees uh, America on the TV. Does what he want change anything? No. Doesn't change anything at all. That's where he was born. That's the language he speaks. And that's what God ordained for him. All right. I was born in Sarasota, Florida. I happen to be born to the most wonderful mother in the world. All right. But if she was a bad mother, then I would, I can't change it. Right. That, oh, look at, she's, she's feeling, your head is getting huge. My goodness. Anyway, these are things that we just have to accept. Okay, default position. Um, the Bible proclaimed it at the beginning. It's set in stone. There's nothing unfair or arbitrary about it. It is simply the way it is. And then next uh, sentence. In Ezekiel 18, verse 4, it says, The soul who sins, that's right, shall die. The soul who sins shall die. Paul has just said all have sinned. And all fall short of 18.4, Ezekiel 18, verse 4. Okay, this is what Adam was told right at the beginning, and it is what every single person who takes God at his word confesses. Either take God at his word or add to it and make stuff up. It's, you know, it's, God doesn't say, well, I'm not going to allow you to do that. People have added to this word a million times. The Jehovah's Witness Bible got a copy of it back there. They've added to the word. There are other people that add in their, their doctrines as on par with scripture. Who is that? What? Ellen G. White. That's one of them, the Roman Catholic Church. They say that we, what we issue is infallible. If they uh, issue a papal bull, it cannot be revoked without an, another pope revoking it or whatever. It is infallible. They have elevated themselves to the level of God. Don't do that. Don't do that. Okay, Ellen G. White, she had these prophecies, and they've elevated, that's the Seventh-day Adventist, they've elevated that up to the level of Scripture. Now, I think I brought this up in this class. It might not have been. I was talking to somebody about it recently. They've kind of scrubbed her from the website, more or less, but if you go into the deeper pages of the homepage, and then you've got all those other links, she is there all over it. They still hold to her doctrine, and as I said in the book of Leviticus, uh, the, the, the picture of the, uh, the well that is coming out with water and uh, the bad doctrine. If you have bad doctrine at the beginning, that cannot be made clean. There's no way to take bad doctrine or adding to the word of God and cleanse it. It is unclean and it will never be clean. That's all pictured in the, the uh, sermons that we looked at a week or two ago, and we're going to see more of that in the weeks ahead. The w word of God cannot be added to or deleted from without causing damage to that word. We don't want to do that. So when you witness to people, don't make stuff up. Because when you do, they are taking your words as the word of God. You're the one that's telling them about Jesus. Be very careful with what you present to people. Okay? Anyway, um, where are we? The soul of sin shall die. This is what Adam was told. It's what every person who takes God his word confesses. Nothing more than what is promised comes about. Sin equals death. The two are tied hand in hand. If you have sinned, you will die. End of story. It is the exact and just punishment for the offense. Okay? Wages. This is his next word. For the wages. Wages are what is earned. 
we go to work and we expect to be paid. They are not grace, and that's one thing that we have to understand. Our sin, our death is not grace. It is something that we have earned. Okay, everybody got that? It is not grace, but they are rather the payment for a given work. The work, believe it or not, may have happened before you were born. Adam sinned, and that work involved every single person who would come from him. I talked about the three ways we are in Adam back a, a, a chapter or so ago. We are in him positionally, we are in him legally, we are in him seminally. When he was created, every single human being that would ever exist was in Adam. And when he fell, every person in Adam fell legally with him. Okay? It's just the way it is. I know that it sounds hard. It sounds, oh my gosh, I don't want to listen to that anymore. But the good news is ahead when you think of Jesus Christ. We have to give the bad in order to understand the good. It doesn't do any good to tell somebody, oh, Jesus, you know, what do you tell somebody about Jesus so that they can come to Jesus without giving them something bad? You can't. The cross is something bad, right? Something had to happen in order for Jesus to bring us to salvation. You say, Jesus will save you. Woohoo! If you think it through, save me from what? Save me from the bad. There is no way that you can give the good without giving the bad. It's not possible because the bad is where we are. And so if you're saying Jesus will save you, then <laughs> he's saving you from something. Okay, so we'll go on again. Wages is what are earned. We go to work, we expect to be paid. They're not grace, but they're rather a payment for, a just payment for what is given. Sin, the next word, for the wages of sin. Sin is missing the mark, okay? You, uh, if you think of uh, where the word comes from, there's an, uh, um, what do you call it, a target over there. You have an arrow, you shoot, and you miss the target. That's what sin is. It's missing a mark. God's mark is perfection. We miss the mark. We are imperfect, and therefore, we have sinned. Okay, that's what is being relayed to us. So where are we? Um, sin, sin is missing the mark. It is not meeting a set standard. God has a standard. We didn't meet it. But rather it is violating that standard. Sin can be inherited, such as when Adam sinned. His sin has been transferred, as I said, to every person who was born. His unrighteousness is imputed to each one of us. Sin can also be committed. Any violation of God's standard is sin. That's why when we say that uh, uh, not one jot or tittle will fall from the law until all is fulfilled, anytime you violate that standard, you sin. That's what the people of Israel were told. They were being used as an example of God's absolute perfection and what you can do in order to live by that absolute perfection. And those people all the way through the Old Testament it shows them with their arrows and they're missing the mark. It's going all over the place, but it's going anywhere except hitting that mark. Okay, that is God's standard. Jesus, when he came, hit the mark and he never missed it. He didn't have the original sin. He hit the mark all the way through his life. Law is fulfilled. And so we can be in Christ and we can be apart from that law. Okay, every jot and every tittle is fulfilled in him. Sin is missing the mark. Okay, uh, let's see here. Uh, any violation of God's standard is sin, and any infraction of God's law breaks the entire law. That's in James 2, verse 10. I think it's get right there really quickly, Hebrews, and then James 1, 2. James 2, 10. For whoever shall keep the whole law, and he's speaking of the law of Moses, the law of God, whoever shall keep the whole law and yet stumble in one point, he is guilty of all. The law is a unified whole. 
if you break any point of that entire law, the law is broken. And that's why they needed the Day of Atonement every year. Because everybody invariably did something wrong under the law of Moses. They got up in the morning and they do something wrong under the law of Moses. You shall not covet. You walk outside and you say, oh, he's got a nice ox. Wow. Law's broken, right? He's looking at the heart. Coveting is something that only you and God know. But God knows. Okay? Every single person violated the law. They needed the grace. They needed the Day of Atonement. So we have four. The wages of sin is what? Death. Death is what results from sin. It stands in opposition to life. You've got life here. You've got death here. This is the bad news. We have earned our wages, and the sentence has been executed. We've received death because of our sin. The death noted here is what? What, what type of death? Spiritual death, that's right. Obviously, it's spiritual death because we're all sitting here alive and we're waiting for our physical death to come. But we are dead in our trespasses and our sins, Paul says. It is spiritual death. It is something that every one of us had until we came to Christ. All right? It is the default position. All right? Physical death is merely a result of spiritual death. This is certain because when one is born again... According to Jesus, right, John 3.16 or John chapter 3, leading up to John 3.16, when somebody is born again, it's spiritual in nature. He even said it. What was it that uh, Nicodemus, uh, they were walking at night, right? Nick at night. Okay, uh, Nicodemus asked him, shall I go back into my mother's womb a second time and be born again? And Jesus said, don't you understand what I'm talking about? It's a spiritual rebirth. So if it's a spiritual rebirth, then it was a spiritual death. Okay, we are spiritually disconnected from God. Christ spiritually reconnects us to God. Once again, think of that through. Eternal salvation. Is God going to reconnect us knowing that he's going to disconnect us again? What would be the point of Jesus coming if he was going to do that? You know, and think of think of the uh, the heavenly EKG, EKG monitor, right? I screw up, bzz, 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 and that thing's just going flatline, and then it's jumping, and it doesn't work that way. He plugs you back in, and you're plugged in. It's done. There's no pulling out the thing and getting a flat line again. You are spiritually reconnected once forever. Eternal salvation, once saved, always saved. Whatever cliche term you want to use, it is done in Christ. Okay? So we'll go on. Um, we're already physically alive. Unless Jesus comes first, we will physically die. Therefore, the death is spiritual, and the born-again life is also spiritual. Despite this bleak situation, though, there is a resounding note of hope as the word but is introduced. He says, for the wages of sin is death, bad news, but that's the good news. I say that almost every Sunday, don't I? Almost every Sunday. The good news, three letters that can change a life, that can change a destiny, but, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. So we have but. It says, um, but the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. This teeny little word, but, brings in a contrast to what was just noted. And it goes on. The gift. But the gift. Wages are earned. A gift given. is given. It cannot be earned. It's amazing to see how clearly people get that, too. When I'm talking to them about Jesus and I say, you know what? I've got a Rolex watch that I want to give you. Figuratively, I don't really own one, but I say, this is a Rolex watch. It's worth $400,000, and I want you to have it. You give me a dollar, and it's yours. And I ask them, is it a gift? And they say, no. They understand they had to give something for it. It's a really good deal, but it ain't a gift, right? The only thing that he can do with that 
to make it a gift is to simply reach out to grab it and to put it on. That is a gift. Anything else, it is not a gift, okay? Gift is something that is unmerited. It can't be earned. It can't be bought. And further, if somebody gives you a gift and you don't accept it, then you're offending the giver. And if you accept it and say, well, I want to give you something for it afterward, you're offending the giver, okay? It is a gift. No, I don't want your money. I don't want it. It's for you. No, you know, you see people do this in the movies all the time. No, 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 right? It's because it is an offense to say, I'm going to pay you for what you have done for me. And think of it especially when God sent his son to die on a cross and we say, well, I'm just going to help you out with that. What kind of an offense is that to God? Okay, it is a gift. So we'll go on. The gift. Wages are earned. A gift cannot be earned. If one attempts to pay for a gift, it is an offense to the giver and it negates the nature of the gift. Therefore, this is something which cannot be earned by our merits or labors. All of those posts that I've been dealing with this week about the dietary law sermon and not eating pork and doing all these things, all you need to do is just think it through clearly, people. But does everybody here know what cognitive dissonance is? You do, you do. A couple. I'll tell you what it is. Cognitive dissonance. It's something I'm going to bring up in the Prophecy Update this week. Okay? It is when you have a belief in something, and then something comes along and challenges your belief in that, you simply shut it off. Okay? That's what cults are. Cults are filled with cognitive, cognitive dissonance. You tell them, that's not what the Bible says, and they completely shut it off. You show somebody that Paul says that the uh, uh, Bible is nailed to the cross, it means that it's gone. They say, well, that doesn't mean what it means, just not like that lady Bible. said to me. The what? Not the Bible nailed to the cross. Oh, Christ is nailed to the cross. Yeah, the law, the law, that's what I'm thinking. Sorry about that. Thank you for correcting me, because I'm thinking and talking at the same time, and that, that's a bad move for me. Anyway, um, so you're right. The law is nailed to the cross. And you can show them out of the book of Hebrews, and you can give them all the verses that we went through at the beginning of the sermon, and you say, see, the law is obsolete. Well, that doesn't mean that. Cognitive dissonance is a very strong, powerful thing, okay? King James onlyism. I bring it up from time to time. You can tell a person, this is wrong in the King James Version, and they will simply, they'll get angry, they'll disagree, they'll do whatever, they will shut it off. They will, cognitive dissonance is a giant force in all of our lives. Every person needs to be aware of it. You could say, you know, a Democrat, you can say, well, it's wrong to kill babies. They have been told it's right. The wall comes up. It doesn't matter how many times you tell them or what argument you get in with them, you are not going to change. That has to come from within. They have to say, I am honest enough to evaluate this rationally and from an outside perspective. Because if you don't, and that's why I say, when I type a sermon on Monday morning, I do it every single week. The first thing I do while I'm taking out the garbage at the mall is I say, Lord, prepare my fingers for the battle. I need you with me, okay? And then when I get home, I try to forget every single thing that I think about that passage. Because if I sit down and I use what I think about that passage, that's all you're going to see, okay? And I must admit, there are times where I think about that passage in advance, and I know that it's affected by what I've already thought. I try my best to not do that with sermons, because cognitive dissonance will stop anything it will it, people you know you hear about sex cults there's this one uh, guy that's and these girls are all I, i've been reading his name lately in in the news and he's got like all these girls and the parents are asking him to come home he's got them completely to the point where everything he does is fine it doesn't matter what he does they will stay with him cognitive dissonance so think of that think of that when you read the bible and somebody has presented something else to you a different view 
Could I be wrong is what you need to ask yourself. Could I be wrong? Because if you don't, all you're doing is trusting in somebody else that has said something that is probably faulted. He's a human being. He's giving you his analysis. And at some point, there's going to be fault in his analysis. Always ask, could I be wrong about what I'm thinking? It's really important because if not, you're just shutting off everything that could be. Okay? All right, we'll go on. Um, the gift, um, Adam Clark states it this way, a man may merit hell, but he cannot merit heaven. All right? We've already merited hell. He's right about that. We cannot, no matter what we do, we can never merit heaven. There's nothing that we can do to do it. And that's why these, these reinsertions of the law are what Paul so strongly warns against all the way through the book of Romans. So clearly in the book of Galatians that cognitive dissonance, when somebody says that doesn't say that, shows that they are completely, completely missing the mark. They are misunderstanding what Paul is saying because he is so absolutely clear. And one good thing is, if you have not read, like, say, the book of Galatians, don't trust me. We haven't gotten there yet. I haven't given you any instruction in the book of Galatians. Just pick it up and read it without any presuppositions at all. Just say, I want to know what this is, and make little notes. Paul is saying this to me, and then rewrite it in another way so that you, you know, you reform what you're reading so that you can... Uh, um, you know what I'm saying? You can solidify it in your mind that he is actually saying this and not something else. Go through the Bible with a completely open mind in the passages you have not read. And when you read the Bible from that perspective, the only thing that you're going to be inserting in there is your, your, uh, you know, your life experiences. And that may taint it to some point, but if you take away the instruction that you may have been given and you just read it for what it is, you can't come to any other conclusion about what Paul is speaking about. Okay. So, careful about that one. Um, so we've got sin, James 2.10. We've got death, all right, physical death. We've got the gift, you cannot merit heaven. And then the next word is of God. The gift of God indicates the source of the gift, okay? I should make that a capital S in my notes here because uh, there's only one source of the gift, and that is God. So let me make a big capital on there right while I'm doing this. The gift is, okay, of God, the source all right. Sorry about that. I just want to have that for my notes with a big S on there. Okay. Of God, the source is the gift. An individual's personal effort is the source of his wages. Man believed the lie of the devil and then took action by his own will. That's recorded right there at the beginning. This is how we got into the mess in the first place. Okay. He ate. That is his work. He worked by eating. Okay. He died. His wages. God told him it would happen and it happened. That was his wages. In our but, God has done the work, and he has offered it to us, his work, his gift, our hand to receive it, okay, or our heart. You know, hand is just being used as an example, all right? So, it is eternal life. That is the gift. The gift of God is eternal life. This contrasts death, and it shows very precisely that one death is just as enduring and just as eternal as the other, okay? Adam died, it will live, it will endure forever. His death will live in us forever, but Christ died for us, and we can live forever through him. So let me read that again. It shows very precisely that one death is just as enduring as the other, eternal life. You either have eternal death or you have eternal life. If one doesn't receive the gift, then the death is eternal. This is the only obvious conclusion of this matter. If the life which is granted is eternal, 
then the death which is earned, if not reversed through the gift, is likewise going to last for eternity. Make sense? Everybody got that? If you are not in Christ, you are in the devil. If you have eternal life in Christ, then you will live forever in Christ. If you are not in Christ, you will be eternally dead in the devil. And there's no, there's no other avenue that God has made acceptable. We can't go through Krishna. We can't go through Buddha. We can't go through any of these other religions out there because they are not of God. They are of man. They are of man's devising. They may have been influenced by the devil, but ultimately they are religions which are not of God. All right? Only Christ is. That is the pattern which began at the beginning. It was promised at the beginning. God has been slowly unpackaging it all the way through the pages of the Bible, and then the gift comes, and he walks among us, okay? The superlative gift of God, which he offers, is found in Christ Jesus. So it says right here, let me read that. Oh, I lost my page. The gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord, or in Jesus Christ our Lord, okay? So, uh, one is either in Christ or they are not in Christ. And the Bible offers no other path to God, and it excludes any other path to God, which I just said. There is no such thing as Christianity plus, okay? And this is one thing that I, I, I bring up from time to time, is that people talk about Catholicism as being the plus religion. It is the Bible plus. They have the, the Pope and his infallible decrees and all of that. They have Jesus plus. They've got Mary, right? They pray to Mary. They've got um, salvation through Christ, and uh, he's our mediator, plus we can pray to Mary, we can pray to the saints, we can pray. Everything about Catholicism, if you think about it, every doctrine that they have is the Bible or what is revealed in the Bible, plus. Think of a Bible doctrine, they've added to it. It is always plus. There is no plus in Christianity, okay? God has ordained one way and one way only. It is either or. If God were to allow any other path to reconciliation apart from the cross death of his son, then what? That is the most pointless gesture in all of human history. If we have any other path to God except through the cross, then that was absolutely pointless. Because you can say, well, I'm going to accept you or I'm going to allow this person or that person. My son, I just had him die for people that wanted to accept him, but there are other ways. Absolutely pointless. No merit at all in that. It is completely crazy for people to say that. All paths lead to God. A guy wrote me this wonderful long email. Um, yesterday I read it. He wrote it two days ago, but long email. And it was about a trip that he made up to Chicago with his family. Okay, Not given the names or any specifics, so I'm not giving up anything. But uh, he said that while they were there, they wanted to go to the Baha'i Temple. Anybody heard of Baha'i religion? Okay and everything was beautiful, manicured, marvelous. Everything was just, and he said, it was so creepy for me. They walk in, they give you a brochure, and everybody's friendly. And he said, now that he's in Christ, he could feel what was going on. And they're saying, all the religions lead to one place. And he said, I could see the end times walking through there, what the world is going to believe, because they're being prepared in places like the Baha'i faith. All are going to be one. It's impossible. They can't all go to the same place. It is impossible. It's logically insane. And if that's the case, then God is utter chaos. And we have no hope at all. I got to tell you what. Anybody that would believe that all paths lead to God, 
believes in a God that is so utterly confused that he, there's no way he could create DNA. No wonder they're trying to manipulate DNA. It's because they think they can do it better. Unreal what people are thinking. Not possible. Absolutely not possible. Okay. Absolutely pointless gesture if there's another way. To be in Jesus then can be explained by his own words in John 14, 6. Go ahead, Burke. I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man come to the Father except by me. Good job. Okay. Jesus' statement is exclusive of any other remedy. There is no other remedy, okay? There is nothing arbitrary about it, nor is it unfair. Fair is getting what one deserves, and fair is death. That's it. We're in it. That's where we're heading. That is fair. This is our just desserts. Grace bestowed upon one another is not unfair. It is grace. Jesus explains this in his parable of Matthew 20, 1 through 16. To be in Christ is to have received God's gift. To not be in Christ means to receive the earned wages. Let's go to that parable and let me see, Matthew 20, I said. So uh, I don't know why I said that, but he must have explained it there. So we're going to go there really quickly. Matthew 20, 1 through 16. Oh, yeah, absolutely. For the kingdom of heaven is like a landowner who went out in the morning to hire laborers for his vineyard, right? Got a long, hot day ahead of you. Now, when he had agreed with the laborers for a denarius, right at the beginning of the day, he sent them into the vineyard. And he went out about the third hour and saw others standing idle in the marketplace and said to them, you also go into the vineyard. And whatever is right, I will give you. So they went um, so they went. Again, he went out about the sixth hour and the ninth hour. I mean, the whole day is almost done. It's hot. You've been to Israel? It, it's hot. <laughs> yeah, you know. She just got back from there. Okay, so they went out, uh, uh, and they did likewise. And about the eleventh hour, he went out and found others standing idle and said to them, Why have you been standing here idle all day? They said to him, Because no one hired us. He said to them, You also go into the vineyard, and whatever is right, you will receive. So when evening had come, the owner of the vineyard said to his steward, call the laborers and give them their wages. Wages of sin is death, right? Gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. Give them their wages, beginning with the last to the first. And when those who came were hired about the 11th hour, last hour of the day, right? They got a denarius. Whose money is it? It's the, the landowners. landowners, right? He can do whatever he wants with it. But when the first came, they supposed that they would receive more. And they likewise received a denarius. And when they had received it, they complained against the landowner, saying, these last men worked only one hour, and you made them equal with us who had become the, who had borne the burden and the heat of the day. But he said to, answered one of them and said, friend, I am doing you no wrong. Did you not agree with me for a denarius? Take what is yours and go your way. I wish to give this last man the same as you. It is, isn't it lawful for me to do what I wish with my own things? Or is it your evil eye because I'm good? So the last will be first and the first last, for many are called but few are chosen. Right. So it's, an, it's a parable about what God is doing in his own right, and it fits perfectly with the church age as well. We're all condemned. We've all earned our wages, and what we deserve is death. And he offers us grace. Now, somebody else can say, well, it's not fair. He gets to go to heaven. He didn't do anything. He just called on Jesus. Can I do what I want with my own vineyard? Can I do what I want with the people I created? It's my choice. I offered it to you and you turned it down. You didn't want it. 
There's nothing unfair about that. And even if he didn't offer it to them, even if they never heard of Jesus, because people always say, well, what about the guy that's in Zimbabwe that never heard the gospel? Doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. The question is, saved from what? Saved from hell. That's where everybody's going. He offers it to us. And if somebody doesn't get offered, it doesn't change the default position. Very unpopular, but if you think it through, it's what God has done. And the good thing is that grace is offered to us, and all we have to do is receive it. Wow, you know what? I didn't deserve what he offered. I read the Bible, and I believed it, and I believe that this is true. All right? And if it's not true, I'm going to tell you something. There is nothing else. There is nothing else out there that I want. If this book is not true, and I put my hope in a bad place, I'm sorry. There's nothing. After realizing what this book tells me, there is nothing better out there. So you might as well make the decision. Just call on Jesus and stop, you know, doing whatever you're doing out there in life. Call on him. There is nothing else that is better than what he offers right here. If it's not true, we haven't lost anything anyway because we're all going to die. We're all going to a plot in the ground. And uh, did you know Dr. Don? No. Don? Dr. Don. On the news. Yeah, he died. The bird? Yeah, the bird man. Yeah, we went to his funeral yesterday. I, I'm sorry, I didn't mean to bring that up right now, but it just came to mind, and I thought you knew him. What a wonderful guy, and, you know, he didn't know the Lord. So I just, it was kind of a sad funeral to go to because he was such a decent guy. Anyway, sorry to bring that up now, but just came to mind, and, yeah, a very, very sad. What a decent person, but, you know, all right. Yeah. And, you know, they say broke died of a broken heart. One of his favorite pets died, and he never got over it. Can you imagine that? What a loving guy. I'm so sorry to have... have oh, boy. Yeah. Oh, well. Anyway, we've got to go on. Wages of sin is death. Whether he accepted Christ or not was his choice. Okay? Anyway, concerning those who are saved prior to the cross, such as Abraham, their salvation looked forward to the work of the Messiah. Okay? Ours looks back on the work of the Messiah. But all who are saved come through Christ Jesus, and none come apart from him. Remember the two girls in the cave, sleeping with their father. They were looking forward to the Messiah. All right, what they did was wrong. We can say, oh, look at the terrible thing they did. Do you know what they said? Look, there's no man on earth. They saw the only place that they ever knew completely destroyed by fire. They thought they were the last people on the planet. They had no idea. They said, there's no man on the earth by which we can have the seed continue, knowing that the Messiah had to come. It's up to them. This is what they're thinking. They were looking forward in faith. They weren't looking forward in perversion or something like that. There's a record of them having one time with their father. There's nothing about, you know, they had three or four children or anything like that. This story is recorded for a very specific purpose. And we look at it and we say, oh, that's a horrible story. And, you know, you read all these books about the daughters of Lot. Hey, they were doing what they thought was right in order for the Messiah to come. And guess what? The Messiah came through both of them. They were rewarded with that. So, whatever. I mean, we can look at things in the Bible. We can say, well, that's... The Bible doesn't do that. If you read Abraham's life and people say, well, he lied and, you know, Isaac lied. It's not what the Bible says. When Isaac says, this is my sister, he uses the term ahoti. My sister, right? That term ahoti is used, I think, eight times in the Old Testament. So it's speaking of a wife. In the book Song of Solomon, he's speaking of his wife, the Shulamite. Guess what he calls her? Ahoti. Right? All he did was give them a term of endearment. How they took it was up to them. All right? We look at these people and we say, oh, they were lacking faith here or there. They were people of faith. 
all right? We're just reading it wrong because we're reading it from our cultural perspective and we're not seeing what God is trying to show us in those stories. The anyway. The girls didn't see that. The what? The girls didn't see that town burn up. No. Oh, yeah, the mother saw the town burn up. They, they heard it. That's right. They, they didn't actually they, see they it. You're absolutely said. right. The girls were not pillars of salt, but mom was. So, okay, yeah, very good point. All right, um, let's see here. A point is made about gifts here, okay? A gift is something that is offered and received. received. There you go. A gift is something that is offered and it's received. If, as Calvinists teach that one is regenerated in order to believe, then they are saved before they're saved. Think it through. That's what Calvinism teaches. We don't receive the gift of God. You are regenerated in order to believe. And guess what that means? If you're saved in order to be saved, it's not a gift, right? It's not. Okay, so think it through clearly. Calvinism is deficient in that particular aspect. All right, it's deficient in others as well, but right there. Just think it through. It is not a gift. All right? So, the Bible never teaches this doctrine. Instead, it teaches that man is fallen, that man is dead spiritually, and we can do nothing to revive ourselves spiritually from this dead state. But it is a category mistake to say that we can't see the gift and receive the gift. We may be spiritually dead, but we are not mentally dead. Some people are but for the most part, we are not mentally dead. You're called liberal. Yeah. <laughs> Anybody hear my mom back there speaking politics? Just ignore her. <laughs> anyway, we see the good, we receive the good, and then, and then we are regenerated to spiritual life. A forced gift is no gift at all. Forced faith is not faith. An imposed grace ain't grace. Okay? Calvinism is wrong in that. All right. I, I know that there are people that love what Calvin teaches and they say this tulip, you know, total depravity to you, unconditional. Um, I, I'm not going to go into it now because I don't know all five. You know what, Charlie, what? If, if, if Calvinism was right, it means that God has given birth or the Holy Spirit has given birth to all these new little souls that come into the world only for the purpose of stoking the hell. That's right. He, he, that's exactly right. The only purpose of making man is to just stoke the, the fires of hell. That's exactly right. And that's not what God had intended to do. What does it say about the lake of fire? Why was it made? For the devil. That's right. And his angels. It wasn't made for man. God is trying to get us out of the lake of fire by offering his son. But he gives us the choice to make our own diving board and to jump in. Right? It is our choice. Okay? Um... Anyway, uh, let's go on. Where was I? Um, uh, Jesus Christ. Okay. Um, oh, where was I? Mom got me off. And, okay. Instead, it teaches that man has fallen and dead spiritually. We can't. I said that. Um, uh, okay. The final portion of Romans 6.23 states, Our Lord, the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ, our Lord. Christ Jesus isn't a Lord, as if there are others. Christ Jesus isn't a created being to whom we fall in adoration or praise, thus committing another sin by denying God the glory that he alone is due. Christ Jesus is God. He is the incarnate word of God. He is the full expression of God in a form that we can understand. He is Lord. Romans 6.23 is a verse which will never, and I mean this sincerely, it'll never be fully exhausted in how it can be discussed and be contemplated. 
it demonstrates the immense wisdom of God, the glory of Christ, and the beauty of reconciliation through the gift of his life, of his death, and of his resurrection. That is what we have in Romans 6.23. A life application, ooh, it's 6.30 already. Life application and we are done. Take time to memorize this verse, as I said at the beginning of the verse, and to think on it from day to day. Always be ready to cite and explain it so others can grasp the wonder of the gospel message, our good news. Right? Oh, and perfect, because we're starting chapter 7 next week. Wonderful stuff. Uh, okay, anybody got anything on... We got three more minutes. Anybody got anything on Romans before we go? Can you run through the Romans road? Romans road. Well, I don't have it right here. I've got it over there, I think, but... Um, uh, uh, 323. Yeah, 323, the uh, all have sinned and all fall short of the glory of God. The wages of sin is death. 620. 623. Uh, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. And there's another one you can add in there. But God demonstrates his own love towards us while we were still sinners. Christ Jesus died for us. Where is that? That's 510. That's right. Okay, so you want to have that one? You want to have uh, 323, 510, and uh, 623. And then... I wouldn't What's make it any more. What's that? What's the one in Romans? 10? That's um, the, the the summation of it. That's what uh, if you believe in your heart that uh, yes, uh, yes, if, yes. if you call in the name of the Lord Jesus and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. Nice. I would keep it those four verses when you talk and to people. 13. And thirteen, yeah, you can add that in thirteen because you're already <laughs> in chapter ten. Add in chapter thirteen, which is go ahead. All who call in the name of the Lord will be saved. It's a repetition of what he's already said in. Uh, nine, 10, 9, and 10. It, well, it, the, it's a, the beautiful thing is, it says, whosoever, and I said, put your name there. Put your name there. That's right. Charlie Garrett shall call upon That's, the I say that about John 3.16, too, which when you give the Romans road, I try to always sum it up with John 3.16. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whoever, and I say that, put your name right there, believes in him, should not perish, but have everlasting life. And leave out all of the 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 baggage that you have in your theology. Don't add in King James onlyism because it doesn't say, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whoever believes in him and reads the King James Version or put in pre-trib rapture or post-trib rapture or any of... One thing that people do, and we've got one more minute, so one thing that people do is they will call things heresies that are not heresies. A, a heresy would be perfectly defined as something that will keep a person from being saved. If you don't believe in a pre-tribulation rapture, I don't care at all. 99.999% of the people that have called on Jesus don't even know what the rapture is. <laughs> they don't have a copy of the Bible, right? They, they have heard the word in some backwood jungle or something out in Papua New Guinea. They have received Jesus Christ, and they don't know what a rapture is, okay? Keep heresies to the very, very minimum. Anything that will keep a person from being saved. Okay, if you are angry at somebody because they are mid-tribulation, big deal. They believe in Jesus Christ. They are saved by the blood of Jesus Christ. A heresy is something that is serious. A point of doctrine being wrong is serious. It's sin, but it is not something that is so serious that you should break fellowship with it. I, this is something I get emails on all day, every day. Well, that person teaches mid-trib. I'm not listening to him anymore. How utterly small is that, right? So he's got bad doctrine. Show him where he's wrong, and if he disagrees, when you get up to heaven at the pre-trib rapture, 
poke your finger at him and say, see, I was right. Okay? <laughs> Leave it at that. Anyway, let's close in prayer Thank here. You. Yes. <laughs> Heavenly Father, you are so very good to us. How wonderful you are to have sent Jesus. The gift of God is eternal life through Christ Jesus, our Lord. Thank you for that. Thank you that it is assured, that it is 100% guaranteed, that if we have called on him, it cannot be changed. We will never, ever fall from your grace. We may fall out of your favor and you may chastise us as a son, but we are never going to fall from the grace that has been given to us. It is contrary to your nature, it's contrary to logic, and it is contrary to the word that you have given us. Lord, we certainly pray for our brother Paul once again. We're hoping that he'll be back here soon and uh, just would pray that uh, his body would be strengthened and that he would be whole and we just we miss him in this this class and in church and just seeing his face we pray for our sister kim who is uh, certainly healing from her surgery right now and we would pray that you would be with her through that we also pray for those that are anxiously although they shouldn't be anxious waiting on job announcements or that are waiting on healing of broken bones and all of the other things that are out there that are stressing them in their lives Give them peace and comfort during that. And uh, take us home safely today. Return us here safely the next time we meet together. And uh, thank you for this church. Thank you for the fellowship of believers. And thank you above all for Jesus Christ our Lord. And it's in his name we pray. Amen. Amen. Okay, let me back this up. Oh, oh, oh. I, oh. I cut out here. Thing about how we're cool. Okay, say goodbye to the folks online. We love you. Have a wonderful week, okay? Take good care of yourself. Oh, yeah, tracks. Take tracks. We've got plenty of tracks. You mentioned one in your prophecy update about the Catholic one. Right here. Yeah, my mom. Okay, take them and read them. All right. Whichever one that you think is best for her, so to read them all, and then any others, either hand them out to a Catholic or bring them back and give them to somebody else that will. Those were given by somebody. Right there. She's got them right there. I want her to read them because she wants to give one to her mom, and when you find.